0: to uh, James. We are reaching the, the end of the study of the book of James. We've been in this book now for a number of months, and I really believe that uh, the Lord has shown me a great deal, I hope He has shown you a great deal also. There's so much that I have learned uh, from this book of James, really this time through it, I have just really understood more and more that God wants to change us in our everyday life. We, um, there's a simple outline to the book. Uh, I gave the simple outline. It's just one chapter after another. Let me just say these things. I don't want to spend a great deal of time on this today. I really want to get to a couple of points uh, as we're getting close to the end of the study. But chapter 1, in chapter 1 of James, you find, uh, you find daily temptation and perfect patience. Daily temptation and perfect patience. In James chapter 2, you find daily faith that works. What you realize is God is interested in working in our hearts in such a way that as we trust him, it changes the way we live our life. One of the great errors um, in preaching and teaching in Christianity is the preaching and teaching that you are supposed to do things in such a way as to make God happy with you. Our Lord Jesus Christ has made God the Father happy with him. And he laid down his life for us. And we are accepted in the beloved. And as we trust Christ, who is working in us to conform us to his own image, what we will find is this will make a real, a very real change in our daily life. In chapter three, we find daily wisdom from above and God surely contrasts this. John just read that passage again from uh, verse 13 all the way to the end of the chapter where God contrasts the world's wisdom with the wisdom that God gives us from above. Now listen to me. There's a great deal, listen, this is so important. There's a great deal of worldly religious wisdom. There's a great deal of worldly wisdom. Christian wisdom, and it's evident by how it makes people behave themselves. If you look, let's look at it just for a moment, because it sure is worth seeing again. So it says in, in verse 13, chapter, James chapter 3, verse 13, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him... If this is true, if this is true in your life, if God has made you wise, if God has changed your life and caused you to have wisdom in your life and you are endued with knowledge, God has poured out knowledge into your life, then let him, this doesn't mean just a male, let them show out of a good conversation his works with, notice this, with meekness of wisdom. Please look up here. A wisdom that isn't meek is a worldly wisdom wisdom. And Christian churches are full of worldly wisdom. Now, the whole book deals with this. It deals with the tongue and it deals with the hard attitude behind worldly wisdom. Christ came to set us free from the world itself. And God has no interest in the ways of the world being in his church. None. So, but it goes on to say this, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your life, glory not, don't brag about the ministry you're involved in when what you care about is your ministry and not what God is wanting to accomplish in the world. If you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, don't brag about it, glory not. And then it says, and I love this part, and stop lying about it, and lie not against the truth. Know your own heart. Confess your own heart and ask God to make the changes in our heart that must be made that the world could see this meekness of wisdom that needs to be in the life of all of, the, of, all of us, all the children of God. This wisdom, the, the kind that has bitter envy and strife, descends not from above, but it's earthly, it's sensual, it's devilish. For envy and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And then this is the last thing it says concerning the difference. and The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. God help us all to be peaceful people especially in the age in which we live. There's so much fuss and argument. There's so much fighting and, um, and mean-spiritedness in the age in which we live. And God would, listen, our Lord Jesus Christ came and died to set us free from this, to give us a peace that passes understanding, that allows us to walk in meekness of wisdom, not having to win the argument anymore. But listen, please hear me. If you, if you still think that you can argue somebody into the kingdom of God, let me just tell you from firsthand experience, you can't. No matter how quote unquote right you are, no matter how many passages you can quote, no matter how well you know the Greek and the Hebrew, no matter how well you can po- make your point, you're still never going to help anybody with your argument, you're not. But if they'll see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, if they'll see charity, love, love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, if they'll see these things in your life, they will acknowledge, the, if they want the truth, they'll acknowledge that it's not in their life. And, and that's exactly the person that led me to Christ over 30 years ago was the, I was given the privilege to lead me to Christ because of the difference in his life. Not because of what he said or taught. Not because he didn't drink or he didn't smoke or he didn't do all the things that I did. That's not why. It was the peace that he had. It was the love that he has. It was the fact that what was different about him was attractive to a lost man. He has something I don't have. And I had everything. He had something that I did not have. And I asked him. He didn't even have to ask me. I asked him. I asked him, what makes you, the different, the, what makes you a different man than I am? And this was his answer, Jesus. And my answer was, I don't want to talk about religion. And he said, I don't want to talk about religion either. And he started talking about Jesus again. And I was bothered by it because I grew up in America going to church as a teenager. And I wanted nothing to do. You want to know why I wanted nothing to do with Jesus? Because I wanted nothing to do with the people who called themselves Christians. Because I'd seen so much hypocrisy. I'd seen so much fussing. I'd seen so much dishonesty. There are just too many curtains to see behind, if you understand what I'm saying. But here's what I found. Honestly, this is what I found. Jesus is not like that at all. And none of his children should be like that. Honestly, all that I I want as the pastor of Tidewater Baptist Church is that we be completely honest and that God get all the glory in our lives. That's it. Just that we be honest about ourselves. Listen, there's none righteous, no, not one. None of us are good. None of us are great. None of us are sufficient. But Jesus is all of those things. And He is, praise God, literally changing us from the inside out. This is what we find in the book of James. If you want to see how this works out, go back to Hebrews chapter 13, one more time. This may be the last time we do this in this study, Hebrews chapter 13, the very end of the book, we do not have time to preach through the book of Hebrews, obviously, but the very end of the book, in, in Hebrews, let me, let me just look up here for just a moment. In the book of Hebrews, the emphasis, is on the high priest. The book of Hebrews says this, we have a high priest. We have a high priest who is able to go on our behalf before God the Father, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. But we also have a high priest who is able to come on behalf of God the Father and pour out into our lives a whole new quality of life. So not only has he shed his blood to pay for our sins, but because he has done so, he can come forth into your life and my life and say, Let me change you let me change you you see this sometimes some some churches uh some religious activity at the end there'll be a benediction a benediction which just means basically we want to pour a blessing out upon you and often even the the person who's standing where i'm standing now will raise their hand but there's no power coming out of the hands in the pulpit but there is power coming out of our lord jesus christ do you understand And so our Lord Jesus is actually literally able to pour out into you, not upon you, not at you, not near you. He is able to pour out into you. The one who saved you has the power to pour out into your heart a whole new quality of life. Now let's read this. It says this at verse 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, notice this, make peace you perfect and every good work to do his will working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever amen this is the end of the book of hebrews god is saying now This is what I'm going to do in your life. And then all you have to do, and again, in my Bible, I just turned the page. In my Bible, it's the very next page in my Bible. And what we see in the very next page is the book of James. And in the book of James, listen, this is what you'll find. The book of James is the first reality epistle where God is proving what do you actually have. What God is doing, starting in the book of James, in the book of Hebrews, he shows you what a new life should be like. And then in the book of James, he says this, is this what you have? And now hear me, honestly, God does not do this to hurt you. God does this to bless us, to help us. If you are a new creature, you read the book of James and say, oh, this can be my everyday life. If you're not a new creature, you look into the book of James and say, I do not have this at all. This is not what I have. I go to church. I join the church. I I tithe. I do all kinds of things, but I don't have this. And what God wants to do is to rescue from false Christianity through his word he wants you to know that what you have is indeed the gospel that what you have is what he says and not what some man or woman said to you the greatest fear that any preacher should have is that we would put forth the word of god in our own words instead of giving them what god says about this now we see at the very beginning of this at verse 2 my brethren count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation knowing this that the trying of your faith another proving what you have worketh patience but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect. And again, the word perfect does not mean without flaw. There is a word that means without flaw, and that's not this word. This means literally that you may be reaching the goal, that you may be matured, that God may change your life in such a way that you will not walk after the flesh, but that you'll be walking after the Spirit. And we'll see that together again this morning. So these are the things that we see. In chapter 4, I went so far into this, Chapter four, James chapter four, I'm just doing the simple outline. You have daily grace, you have daily grace to overcome lust, lips, and the law. Daily grace to overcome lust, lips, and the law. And again, I really don't have time to expand on all of these things. And finally in chapter five, you have living daily in light of eternity. So because of the change that God has made, and by chapter five, God is having us living daily in light of eternity. Then, by the way, then we pointed out that there are six themes that run throughout the book. The first one is promise. The second one is temptation, and that includes trial, tongue, and lust. The third one is patience. The fourth one is the word perfect itself, which we spent a great deal of time on. And then the last two are peace and pray. Peace and pray. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to pick up this morning with peace and pray. So what I'd like to have you do is uh, turn with me uh, in your Bible to the first passage that we'll look at together. And um, what I want you to do is in chapter 1, chapter 1, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, I want us to look at this this, this reality of peace. I'm going to read verses 16, 17, and 18, and then we'll pray. And then we'll pray. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Father, as we would look into your word for a... Lord, how many minutes will it be? 30 minutes maybe? As we would look now into your word for just these couple of minutes. Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds? Would you put away all the distraction of our own lives, of the world around us? And would you cause us to see that it is your desire that we, your children, would daily have the peace that you want for us? That it is your desire that these things would be the reality of our life. That it's from you, right from you, from heaven into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, verse, verse uh, 16, in order to really understand what's happening in verse 16, you have to go back to verse 12. So go back to verse 12 with me. Ch- chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So what's happening is this. If what you have is the real thing, then it will be proved as God works in your heart and life. If what you have isn't the real thing, then God wants to give you the real thing. And so what he says is blessed the man, blessed is the man, perfectly happy is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, when this has happened in our lives and we see that what we have is the real thing, we know because the Holy Spirit lives within our hearts that he has the, we have the promise which he has given to us, the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Now, Verse 13 says this, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Because here's, look, look here, please. This is what many people think. Because of the trials that come into our life, we think, well, God is causing these things to go wrong in my life. Therefore, everything that's wrong with my life is his fault. That's what this is saying. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither Tempteth he any man. How many men does God tempt with evil? And the answer is how many? None. None. Not a single individual does God tempt with evil. None. So then where does this temptation come from? And here's what it says in verse 14. But every man, every man. Now how many? So listen, listen. This is what you're going to find in this verse. Your problems, listen to me, listen. Your problems are not somebody else's fault. All of my problems, guess whose fault they are? Mine. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. This is the tragedy of walking in your own strength, of walking after the flesh. So, do not err, my beloved brethren, every good gift. And this is where we get to the very idea of peace. Christians, listen, truly born-again Christians lack peace because they try to bring goodness into their lives through their own strength. But it says, do not err, my beloved brethren. Every, every, right? You underline that? In my Bible, it's underlined twice. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So the promise here at the beginning is this you can have the peace that we're getting ready to look at, but not in your own strength. I don't remember when. I, I, I do remember for so long, so long as a young Christian wanting to do better. I mean, really, you know, Romans 7 says it very clearly. We delight in the law of God after the enemy man. When you're saved, once you're saved, you really love the idea of doing the right thing. The things that you didn't care about before you were saved, when you're saved, you care about them a great deal. I just, I so much wanted to stop failing, and I wanted to do the right thing. I didn't want to be justified by my good works. I knew I was justified by the blood, but having been justified by the blood, I thought I should behave myself better, and I thought, well, I will behave myself better. He's worthy that I behave myself better so I'll do better and guess what I didn't I tried harder and I failed worse and I tried harder you go read Romans chapter 7 the good that I would I didn't the evil that I wouldn't I did oh wretched man that I am not that I was oh wretched man that I am but thank God for Jesus Christ because see the whole point of this is is this if you are a new creature then you have a Holy Spirit now living within you. And if the Holy Spirit now lives within you, let him do it. Let him do it. Listen, this is a really important truth. The same sin that you have never once had victory over has never defeated the Lord Jesus. Not once. So this is, I understand it this way. It's helped me a great deal. The sin that I can't defeat, the Holy Spirit can't lose to. And guess what? He won't lose it today and you either. He won't. Let him do it. Let him do it. You can try. You know, what's funny is this. Why are you going to try? What, think about the real motive for trying. This is the real motive for trying. I did it! Look, Lord, look how good I am now. Right? And do you think of how embarrassing that would be, given that the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood to save you from your sins? Yeah. And you did something right, and you want God to justify you because you did something right? Well, here's the good news. You're not going to do it right. Right? Nobody will stand before God in their good works and say, I'm here because of what I've done. Nobody. You, if you could, you could. But you can't do it, so you won't be. But the good news is, listen, if you are a new creature, now Matt, this is such a tremendous truth. I was so afraid when I started to realize that what I was actually doing was Cain worship. In other words, I was bringing my basket of fruit into God and saying, look what I've done, look what I've done. And God was never pleased with my basket of fruit, but thank God he never left me and he never forsake me. Never, never. I will never leave you, but I'll tell you what you do. You, you, you start, when you start to realize this is what you're doing, you look down at that basket of fruit next to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and you pick that basket up, you walk out of the Holy of Holies and you throw it on the ground. You say, this doesn't belong in here. Only the blood belongs in here. My justification will always and only be the blood of Jesus Christ. I can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will freely give me every good gift and every perfect gift. But I don't purchase them and I don't earn them. They are grace, grace, grace. And thank God they are grace. Because if it was up to me, I'd never get anything. But God desires to give these things to us. A little bit further in uh, in this very chapter, look at verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Listen, look at me. I, don't understand, I really don't understand some churches, I don't understand some people that call themselves Christians. They walk around on what, is, what appears to me to be a very high horse, talking about how good they are and how bad everybody who's not like them is. Listen, there's none good. There's none good but one, yes? Just, just Jesus. And since you're not Jesus, you can't look down at anybody. The ground at the cross is level for all of us. Yes? Now listen, listen, listen. This is really important because I promise you, listen, there are certain sins that I don't think, I do not think that I'm capable of committing certain kinds of sin. There are certain unnatural sins that really bother me and I don't think I could do them. I just don't think, I think I'd have to shoot myself in the head before I could commit certain types of sin. But that doesn't mean that I'm by any stretch righteous because I have horrible sin in my life. Amen. All of us, all of us that, all of us know that in me that is in my flesh that dwelleth no good thing. So I have no reason to look down at somebody else who has what I appear, what appears to me to be quote unquote different sin than I have. They just have different sin than I have. It's sin just like mine is. They need a Savior just like I do, but Jesus loves them just like He loves me. Amen. Is that not what it's saying? Listen. Let This is verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, my beloved brethren, isn't that wonderful? Not just my brother, my beloved brother. Wherefore, my beloved brother, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. But by contrast, because we're talking about peace, go to chapter 3. We, got, we started with it, we opened with it, and we'll see it again right now because this, so, this is so critical, so critical to see what, what God wants to show us about this peace. In verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, remember now, see, the, the wisdom that is from above, listen, look. please look up here for a moment. And I won't be long, but I want you to see this. Everything, listen, everything you need is from above. You got it? Everything you need is from above. And by the way, me being sitting, standing higher than you, that doesn't qualify, that doesn't count, okay? Everything you need needs to come from God. Everything in your life that you need needs to come from directly from God to you. Do you understand? Not, listen, now I can be the voice that points you to it, but I cannot give it to you, do you understand? People who go, preachers, teachers, priests, those that would go around and purport to be able to pour out into your life their own goodness that would help you, they're wrong, and they're lying to you. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh where? From above. Now, what does this say here? And the wisdom that is from above is first pure. So it can't be man's wisdom. It can't be a collection of good men's wisdom. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians when he says this We learned that our sufficiency was not of ourselves. Now that's not just the Apostle Paul saying he knew that he wasn't sufficient. He had learned that he wasn't sufficient. But the Apostles together that's Paul, John, James, Andrew the Apostles, all of them together had learned this. They were not sufficient for the things that Christ wanted them to do. So as you teach Sunday school, this needs to be your attitude. I am not sufficient for this. As you go uh, to the jail, the brig, the union mission, I am not sufficient for this. As you go to the nursing homes, I am not sufficient for this. When you work Wednesday night, whatever the ministry we're doing, whatever God calls us to, we are not sufficient for these things. But praise God, there is a wisdom that comes from above. There is a power that comes from above. And here's the good news. It can come through you. It can. It can come through the vessel that God gives you, but it's not yours. And you know it's not yours. Here's the good news. Once you start to really walk after the spirit instead of the flesh, good things will happen in the lives that you're ministering to. And when they tell you these things, this will be your response. Oh, thank God. Not, oh, thank me. Aren't you glad I'm in your life? Isn't it wonderful to have me around? Amen? You won't feel that way because, you, and by the way, if you're ever going to be a good minister, if you're ever going to really be able to help the children or the men or the women, whoever it is that God calls you, if you're ever going to be any good at this ever, you're going to have to learn that it's not you, that it's not you. And you're going to have to be grateful and glad that God would still use us to help others because he doesn't need us he doesn't need us he has chosen to use us but he doesn't need us he could do it all by himself and by the way can you imagine honestly let's let's just pick we'll take Gary Kimmy's Sunday school class. you don't mind me taking it do you Gary so Gary Kimmy says honestly and I don't mean to be irreverent but Gary Kimmy says this morning to the boys in his Sunday school class we have a guest teacher this morning it's Jesus now I'd go I, J- Don you know you did a wonderful job this morning but if somebody said Jesus is teaching Gary's Sunday school class I'd say, I'm going to go listen to Gary's Sunday school class. You know, nobody knows, right? Do you understand? Because if our Lord Jesus did it himself, would he not do it better, right? Would he? Yes or no? Everybody's aware of that, right? So the Bible says, when God allows you to be involved, we need to have this attitude. We are unprofitable servants. All we did was what you asked us to do, and you would have done it better than we did it. But we are glad to be involved in it. We're grateful to be involved in it, but no good came out of us doing it. You're the one that did it, Lord. Amen? So this is what he's teaching us here. So it says this. Let's go to verse 17 again. But the wisdom that is from above is purse pure. There's no mixture of this. God's wisdom does not have my mixture of ignorance in it, okay? The wisdom that's from above, this is why you need to spend time in the word of God. It is wonderful that I'm preaching, but the only good thing about my preaching is that I'm pointing you to this book and telling you you need to meet God in his word. You need to meet God in his word. Many of you have been saved in in this ministry with nobody in the room but your Bible. Because often I will send people and say, just go home, just go home. Because you don't need the preacher. You need this book and the God who wrote it. That's all you need. When I was saved, there there was nobody in the room, nobody in the room but, but God. This book and God. And I have watched him save so many people. Do you know what the problem with many people's salvation is? They're dependent upon the preacher that, quote, unquote, led them to Christ. You don't need the person that led you to Christ. Listen, listen, I want you to picture this. You're going to a restaurant to eat dinner, and it's on such and such a street. And you're driving down the interstate, and you see the name of the street. You see the name of the street you want to go to, where the restaurant is, and you see it on the sign. Yes? Right? Right? And you, and, you, and you get off the interstate on, at the right street, you drive down, oh look, there's a sign on the top of the building that tells me this is where I want to go eat. And you go in there and the food is delicious. And then you, and listen, just think of how silly this would look. And then you walk, drive back and you pull over on the interstate and you stand there by the sign and you say, oh, thank you, oh sign, for leading me to the restaurant that I wanted to go to. Doesn't that sound silly? All it did was point in the right direction. That's just a good sign, right? Now, can you imagine if the sign pointed in the wrong direction? Well, then we'd have problems. But all God is asking you and I to be is a good sign. Just point to Jesus. Do you understand? In your Sunday school class, point to Jesus. He's the Savior for these children, yes? When you go to the break, where do you point? To Jesus. By the way, let's say you've been saved for 10 years and I'm in your Sunday school class. I've been saved for 10 years and I'm in your Sunday school class. Guess what? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So it doesn't matter whether you're leading people to Christ or or you're... training those and helping those that have been Christians for a long time. Guess where we point? Same exact place, to the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, we look, I just want to end this with this. So this, for this pure, pure, then peaceable. I, I, you need to picture this. I, I say these things, and when I say them, I wish I could convey how, how quiet this is. Listen to this. But listen, in this clamoring world of Facebook and, 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 and uh, I don't even know the name of half of these things. I'm sorry. I sound like such an old man. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Instagram. Thank you. That's my wife who does know all these things. Instagram, Twitter. She's not as spiritual as I am. So uh, anyway. <laughs> in, in, in the age of all of, these, all of this noise, listen to this. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And then this is the way God culminates this. We talk about that righteousness, right? If you put your finger on verse, chapter 3, verse 18, and then I've turned back one page. Go back to verse 20 of, of uh, chapter 1. For the wrath of man, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God, right? But, Verse 18 of chapter 3, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Our works, man's works, do not produce righteousness. You want to see what, how righteousness can be brought into the lives of people around you? You want to change the lives of the people around you? Be peaceful around them. That's what it says. I'm, I'm not, that's, right. And the fruit of righteousness is what? Sown in peace. Of them that make peace. You want to help the people around you? Be a peaceful person. Listen, not the know-it-all, right? Is the know-it-all in the passage? Is he? He is in the passage. He's just a few verses earlier, right? Yes, right? If you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, you say, no, 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 I'm not, I don't have bitter envy and strife. I just know it all. That's strife, right? That's you being smarter than everybody else. But this is, listen, this is a devilish That's what it says, right? This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. You helping your coworker by being better than them isn't helping them. If you want to help them, point them to Christ and be peaceable while you're doing it. Don't get caught up in the fuss and the argument at work. And all of it, listen, it's hard to read the news it's even harder to discuss it. So don't. Don't. The news is primarily distraction. It really, really is. Listen, the argument is going to be, do you believe this or do you believe that? And the answer is, I don't care about either one of those things. I really don't. What I care, listen, what I care about is the, is the people who need a job. Boy, I wish we could do something to help the people that need a job to get a job. Yes? The people that need health care to get health care. I wish we could work on those things. Well, you know, we have a plan for that. Listen, here's the the plan for that. Here's the plan for that. Walk with the Lord Jesus and do good for your neighbor. That's the plan for that. And it really is. You say, well, that's overly simplistic. Oh, yeah? Let's try it for a little while and see how overly simplistic it is. It is simple that all I would have to do is not be selfish. It is simple that all I'd have to do is to love my neighbor and to let the God Almighty work through my heart. and And it is simple. You're right. And yet our flesh doesn't want to do it at all. But if God would, if we would allow God to do this in our lives, what a difference it would make! Now, I want to take just a uh, just a, a moment. I want to turn back to John. So we're looking at this uh, piece that we, that God wants to work. Tur- turn back to John, John chapter uh, fourteen, John chapter fourteen, John chapter fourteen, and starting verse twenty-five. The Lord Jesus, speaking to his disciples, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance unto you, uh, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now here's what I want you to see. Listen. Help me say this, Lord. The Lord Jesus is getting ready to leave. That's what he's telling his disciples. I'm leaving. I'm leaving, I'm going to lay down my life, I'm going to shed my blood, and then I'm going to go and I'm going to present that blood before the Father and then I'm going to ever live to make intercession for you. But I'm not gonna leave you alone, I'm gonna send you the Holy Ghost and he's gonna live within you, amen? And then he says in the, in the same, in that exact context, right? I just read it, you see the context, in that context, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Listen to me, look, please look up here. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, then you can have peace. Because he does. Did you know that God never wrings his hands? God never frets. God is never anxious. God is never upset. God is not like that. And God, the Holy Spirit living within you, is never anxious, he's never worried, he's never fretting, he is at peace. He knows, he knows that the things that are coming into your life were planned specifically to show you how great he is, to show you how capable he is, to show you how wonderful he is. That's what God is doing in our lives. This is what our Lord Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave, it's okay, it's okay, because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, he's going to live in your heart, and he's going to give you peace that the world cannot give you. Now, what I'd like to do is turn back just a few verses. I want to transition from the word peace to the word pray or ask in the, uh, in the book of James because that's the next thing I, see, I want to see us to see together. And again, we're just summing these things up today. We're just kind of going back through things we already saw together. But to see this, go back in this chapter, John chapter 14, go back to verse 12. John chapter 14, go back to verse 12. Now, again, this is in the context of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to be leaving but he wants you to understand that because he leaves doesn't mean you can't ask for stuff, okay? So John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go into my Father. In other words, the works that I've been doing, I'm going to empower you to be able to live like this. And you're going to be able to do more than these because I'm leaving to go with my Father. I'm leaving you here. You're going to do them. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is the promise. That our Lord Jesus makes here. Go back to Luke. Just go back um, one book. Go back to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. A promise. It's a promise that we. I'm, I'm confident you've had before you many, many times. But I want to read verses 9 through 13. Because I want you to see the significance, the context of this. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks receives, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will you give him a stone? Or if he ask for a fish, will you give him for a fish a serpent? Or if he ask for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give you the stuff you asked for? That's not what it says. Is it? But that's how we think about this verse. What does he say? How much more shall your heavenly Father give you what? The Holy Spirit to to them that ask him. Now why does he say it that way? Because... You need the Holy Spirit. That's why. Do you understand? You're dead. You have no power to do these good things, right? Romans chapter 7. The whole point of prayer is this. What is prayer? Prayer is acknowledging that you do not have what you need. Or maybe your brother and sister do not have what they need. Someone has need. And guess what? God has the ability to accomplish this. So what does he pour out into our lives? He doesn't just give us stuff. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit does, what does the Holy Spirit do? He teaches us the truth about God and he empowers us to live the way God would have us to live. Listen, this is the greatest gift that God could ever have given to mankind. Greater than Christ with us, greater than Emmanuel, God with us, is the Holy Spirit in us. This is unbelievable. And listen, because of the abuse of what is typically understood or known as the Pentecostal movement, the holiness movement and the charismatic movement, there's a great confusion about what the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit is wanting to accomplish. Ho- I, 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 and somebody's going to think I'm being mean, but I'm not. The Holy Spirit is not rolling on the floor, speaking in some gibberish babble and foaming at the mouth, it's not. The Holy Spirit is given to us to teach us the word of God and to empower us to live the way we don't have the power to live in our own strength. Amen? And and it's in the context of two things. Jesus makes it clear in the context of two things. One is our need to have peace in our life, and two is our need to have asking in our life. He says this, look, I will give you peace. How? I'll give you the comforter. That will make you peaceful. That will give you peace. Thank you, Lord. And, and, you, all that you will ever need, just ask. And what the Father will give you is more of the Holy Spirit in your life. He will continue to conform you to the image of the Son by the Holy Spirit changing you within you. That's, now listen, none of this is anything that we're making up. This is exactly what these passages are saying. Turn, for just a moment, turn back to chapter 1 of James. And we'll be done in just a moment. James chapter 1. <clears throat> James chapter 1. starting in verse five. James chapter one, starting in verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea. Now, what God wants you to to realize as you see this is this. Ask him for whatever you need. If you need, ask. Now, let's go to a place where asking is not answered. So turn turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Because James chapter 4 is going to deal with the fact that there are Christians who ask and do not receive. So why is that? Because, and this is why. Let's go to verse 4. We'll start with the context. We'll start in verse 1. From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence, even from your lusts that war in your members? We already saw, and I know it's important that we see this. We already saw, if you go back to James chapter 1 and verse 14, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, right? So listen, look, look, this is important. Your sin is your fault, right? My sin is my fault. You want to know the worst thing about my sin and your sin? Is they often don't agree with each other, right? So look. Your lust, your strong desire, what you want is different than my lust, my strong desire. So you know what that leads to? Fighting. That's what it says. Look, this is verse chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? So here's the problem. Here's the real problem with selfishness. The real problem with selfishness is I don't like yours. Right? Your selfishness bothers me. Yes? Do you, not, do you not see what I'm doing there? You just probably think, well, of course, yeah, and yours bothers me too. Exactly. That's where the wars and fightings come from. That's where they come from. So, so notice because this is the context of this. You lust. This is verse two, James four two. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask. And receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. Because here's what a great deal of prayer is. This is it. Look, we'll be done. We don't want the Holy Spirit. We want stuff. Right? How many, listen, listen. How much of your prayer life, how much of your prayer life is, Lord, make me like Jesus? How much of your prayer life is like that? And how much of your prayer life is like this? Lord, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Right? Yes or no? Be honest with yourself, because this is what's wrong with our prayer life. The problem with our prayer life is, one, when we pray for things that we need, we don't pray for what we actually need. What we actually need is the Holy Spirit. What we actually need is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Yes or no? You decide. But I'm telling you, what God makes very clear is this. I don't want to just give you stuff. I want you to have me. I want you to love me. I want you to be like my son. Don't you want to be like my son? And by the way, the inward man jumps up and down when I preach this to you. The inward man, your new creature, those of us that are born again, within you say, yes, yeah, exactly what I want. And yet you're right. I find myself not asking for that when I'm praying. I'm always asking for things when I pray. Don't ask for things. Ask for the Holy Spirit. Now, at the end of this very book, by the way, the end of this book turned, one last passage I want to look at and we'll be done. James chapter five. Now we're wrapping up the, we're actually ending the book. Starting in uh, verse 13, James chapter 5, starting in verse 13, because now in verse 13, we're going to learn how to pray for one another, because this is the real key, the real key to having the Holy Spirit change my life, is I stop worrying about me at all, and I start caring about those around me. John, uh, uh, Don did not get a chance to get to this in the Sunday school class, but this is Romans chapter 9, and I saw it was in his notes, he just didn't have a chance to get there, I saw it, it was on the board. Romans chapter 9, let me tell you about Romans chapter 9, this is Romans chapter 9. The end of Romans chapter 8, you go look at it yourself later. The end of Romans chapter 8 could not be any happier, any more joyful, any more jumping up and down because nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. I have, because of what Jesus has done for me, nothing can separate me from God. Praise God. It's just a wonderful end of it. But it's, chapter 9 starts with this, continual sorrow and heaviness. But why? Because there are people who I know who don't have this. Yes? Yes? How many of you know somebody who's not saved and it hurts you? Let me honestly, raise your hand high. I know somebody who's not saved and it hurts me in my heart that they're not saved. Amen? Yes? It should. Christians would jump up and down all day long if it wasn't for the fact that they know people who don't know Jesus. This is the burden. This is what God, but the whole point of the end of James is this, how to pray for each other. Because God wants us not only to be able to ask him to change us, he wants us to be able to ask him for each other to change each other. Let's look at it. Is there any, this is, we'll start in verse 13 to get the context. Is there any among you afflicted? If there's anybody among you afflicted, let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. you happy? Just sing. Praise God for that. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Uh, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if you have committed any sins they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God wants us to understand this. Look, please look here. When your brother is hurting that doesn't say, listen, this is so important, boys, this is important. When your brother or sister is hurting, what the Bible does not say is this, go fix them. And the average Christian is really good at fixing their brothers. Brother, I see that thou hast a moat in your eye. Let me get my spiritual tweezers and pluck it out while I hit you upside the head with a beam that's in mine, right? This is not what God would, listen, when your brother or sister is failing, What does the Bible tell us to do for them? Pray. And how does it tell us to pray, by the way? What does it say? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, by the way, let me say this about this phrase. We don't have time. We've already talked through this. We don't have time to go back. But remember this. It says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, here, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever, honestly, let's be honest now. How many of you have ever read this and said, I'm not qualified for this kind of prayer? Anybody? I did. As a young Christian, I would, I would be really interested in praying about something, and this verse would come to my mind. Oh, I can't pray for them. Why not? Because I'm not righteous, right? I'm not righteous, so I can't pray for them. Why? Because I'm a jerk, and I know I'm a jerk, so therefore I'm disqualified from this. Nope, nope, because I can go boldly to through the, through the, the throne of grace, not just for me, but I can go boldly to the throne of grace for somebody else. Why? Because I have a righteousness that was given to me by the same blood that got me here to begin with. Amen? Yes? So I can come as a righteous man, just not in my righteousness. But I can come in the righteousness of Christ and pray for my brothers and sisters. Amen? Now, that, makes, that gives, listen, if I'm praying not in my righteousness, but in Christ's righteousness, and I'm not praying for myself, but because I love my brother or sister, doesn't that give you the confidence to really pray? To pray what? Fervently? and effectual, doesn't it? It really, it changes absolutely everything. We can pray for one another just like we can come to God for our needs. We can come to God for somebody else's needs because we're not coming to talk bad about them to God. We're not coming to talk down about them to God. We're coming because we know they have a need just like us. And we know his righteousness allows us to pray for them just like it allows us to ask for the things that we need in our own life. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, oh, these things are so hard. They're so hard for me to convey well. Lord, your word is so so powerful and so perfect and so wonderful. And Lord, I, I feel so frail sometimes as we look at these things. I thank you that your love, that your love is so great and so good. And I pray, Lord, that my brothers and sisters will come back through these passages and that you will show each of us by the power of your own Holy Spirit these significant and wonderful truths. Lord, that we would enter into these things, that we would realize that it is your peace that you want to pour out into our lives, that it is your invitation that we should come and ask. Lord, please remove all selfishness from our lives, all, all, um me, 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 remove all of it from all of our lives, that we might really have the the, the ability to come to the throne of grace not in our own strength, but in yours, that we might ask you to change us into the image of Christ, and being made in the image of Christ, that we might pray for one another, that we might care about one another. Lord, oh, it's so wonderful to see this is not something that you want for a special day once every couple of months, but it's what you want in our everyday life, and Lord, you have the power to change us so that our everyday life is like this by your power, by your perfection. We thank you for these things. Lord, we ask you to bless us. Please meet with us and do what needs to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.